Welcome to Therapy is for Everyone. In this podcast, Grace and Bargo will be discussing varying topics about therapy. Listen in and let's remove the stereotype around therapy. In this episode, Grace Ann will discuss how therapy can be a self-care tool. Hey, y'all. First of all, I'm so glad you're here. My name is Grace Ann Vargo. I'm a senior in college and a mental health and therapy advocate. I hope that you find this podcast encouraging and enlightening as we dive deep into how therapy can be helpful in all areas of life. Today, I'm joined by Chandler Cox, a counselor with the Thrive Wellness Center at Anderson University. So Chandler, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your academic journey in order to get started in this line of work? Yes, thank you all for having me. Um, As I said, I am a therapist here at Thrive Wellness Center. And I got my bachelor's degree in psychology with a minor in criminal justice from Winthrop University. I found my way to psychology because my father is actually a psychologist slash professor. And when we were kids, we would go to class with him and I would be kind of in the back taking notes. Um, I really became super interested in psychology at a young age. And so I majored in that in college. I got to my final semester of college and had no idea what I was going to do with my degree. So I decided to get an internship anywhere, any related place. And the first place that hired me was a counseling center. And there I really fell in love with counseling and decided that I wanted to do that as a career. And so I stayed at Winthrop and I got my master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. That's awesome. Well, that is quite a journey. Um, I think it's so interesting that your father was also a psychologist. Um, So I really love that you were able to get that exposure for yourself at such a young age. Um, I'm really glad you're here. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Um, I'm really excited for what we have to talk about. Um, And so we're just going to go ahead and dive into the discussion. Um, for today, which is all about how therapy can be a self-care tool. So in order to understand how therapy can be that tool, um, I think we first have to understand what self-care is. So what is self-care? My definition of self-care is allowing yourself to rest and recharge Hmm. and kind of giving your not just your physical body but also your brain and all of your mental energy a chance to rest and reset I think often when we think of self-care we think of like laying on the couch binging Netflix or something like that but that is not really allowing your mind to rest so it's really something that is like letting you have a brain break and allowing you to hit the reset button mentally and emotionally Yeah. So why is self-care so important? I think without self-care, we become very ineffective um, in terms of our relationships with other people. And if you're not taking care of yourself, then you're not really able to fully show up and be present 
for the people in your life and the, the obligations that you've made, whether that be school, work, um, just social obligations that you might have. If you are pouring from an empty cup, then you're not going to be effective in those settings. Hmm. I really like that empty cup. Um, kind of, I guess, not like imagery that you used I was my brain thought terminology but that was not the right word (laughs) um but yeah I really like that it's almost like you can't pour into others if you're not being poured into um but yeah that's interesting so traditionally when we're talking about therapy we're referring to talk therapy Mm -hmm. um in previous episodes we've discussed this um so talk therapy is essentially just a discussion between a licensed therapist and the client So how might talk therapy help the client learn more about themselves? I think that is the hidden goal of every therapy encounter that we might have. You know, we always go with this, like, what we call a presenting problem. I am having trouble in my relationships, or I'm having some depressive symptoms, or something like that. That might be, like, your primary aim, but you're always going to learn more about yourself through those conversations. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's just having the feedback from someone who is being present with you and really trained in what we call the art of positive regard. So Mm -hmm. someone who's not going to be shaming you or blaming you for the thoughts and emotions that you might be having. And really like to be a mirror and say, this is what is happening in your life. This is what I'm hearing from what you're telling me. What is your role in this problem? You know, what are you doing that is either facilitating or maintaining the problem? And what can we do differently? And I think it really unlocks kind of like a hidden side of other people because they don't always know that they're even capable of the kind of growth that you can experience from therapy. Yeah. So you talked about the art of positive regard. Is that, did I say that correctly? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had never heard of that. That's interesting. Can you kind of explain that a little bit more? Yeah. Um, it is, I guess, one of the founders of counseling theory is Carl Rogers. Okay. And he has this idea of what he calls unconditional positive regard. So this would be um, in the vein of humanistic psychology. Mm-hmm. You know that theory? theoretical orientation um and basically what he says is that there is no intervention that you can substitute for the therapeutic relationship so there is no like magic cbt or dbt or whatever the cool interventions are now that you can substitute for being present with the client and showing them positive regard showing them that they are human they are flawed but they are also unconditionally loved. And so being that presence for the client can really unlock a whole other side of them, especially if they're not getting that in other areas of their life. Mm, I love that. That's so interesting, especially to kind of see how that, um, just learn about how that dynamic works. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, It's so fascinating to me. So my next question is, what are some ways that self-care can be implemented in a therapy session? 
I think the, even the act of going to therapy is an act of self-care. Like, you're taking an hour out of your day to check in with yourself mentally and emotionally and to kind of take a, an inventory of what are the stressors, what are the challenges that you have in your life, and what are you doing to meet them? So I think even going to therapy is self-care. I think mm-hmm. being open and authentic and vulnerable not with the therapist per se, but with yourself, you know, because ultimately 80% of the changes that you want to see are going to happen outside of the session. You know, if you Mm -hmm. see your therapist once a week for an hour, maybe, you might even go less often than that. That's not really enough to make those big changes. A lot of the work is happening in between sessions outside of Mm -hmm. the office. So Being vulnerable with yourself is part of the self-care process. And then I think gaining coping skills and strategies is Mm -hmm. a form of self-care because you're kind of teaching yourself how to be your own therapist in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is, I'm really glad that you brought that up because that literally brings me right to my next question, which is what are some examples of ways that people can exercise self-care after a therapy session or honestly just whenever they need to? My favorite thing to tell clients is to journal after therapy. Um, Just like your insights, it doesn't have to be like very formal. It can just be bullet points or stream of consciousness. You know, whatever came up for you emotionally in the session, whatever insights you had and kind of reflecting on it or even identifying like, okay, I had this insight. I now know this information about myself. What am I going to do with it? What changes or action steps am I going to take? Um, that is a good thing. I think also time alone. So oftentimes people will come to therapy like in between obligations. And really you kind of want to have time to decompress and not jump right back into work or class or if you're serving or you're a mentor or something like that. That can be really challenging because you just unearth all of these heavy emotions and now you have to go be someone's support and that might be really challenging. So I say journaling, time alone, um, even if that's like a drive, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I'll speak candidly for myself. When I go to therapy, I look for a therapist that's like in Greenville or even maybe whatever's outside of Greenville so that I have the drive time to kind of decompress and reflect. Mm. So that's a good strategy. Um, and I would also say if you make goals with your therapist to, if you're a planner, like you have a, a paper planner or in your phone or whatever, kind of mark some markers of progress that you're going to check in with yourself on those goals. So mm-hmm. if we meet on Monday and we're going to meet again the following Wednesday, maybe you put in your planner like Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, what am I doing to meet these goals? To kind of like keep yourself accountable. Yeah, that's good. I really like the drive thing. I'll speak candidly too. I definitely do that with my therapist. I have her in like another part of the county. So it's definitely like really good to have that drive just to decompress. And I also use music as a way to decompress too. I have a special playlist that I play. It's called um, When My Brain Goes Too Fast. I don't know why I put that as a title, but that's its title. And it's literally just like songs that I'll 
put on if I like don't want to listen to any words or if I don't want to feel like pressured by music to feel a certain way I'll just put that on and it's been great so that's really interesting that you mentioned that and also journaling I have journaled for a while but I've never really journaled like stream of consciousness so that's really really interesting that you mentioned that I love that um so what are some challenges that people might face when trying to take better care of themselves the number one constraint that I hear is time you know Mm -hmm. like I don't have time to take care of myself or to rest and relax for an hour you know I have Mm -hmm. all these other things on my plate and I always say like if you can start with 20 minutes a day that would be helpful and that's like first thing in the morning or before you go to bed or whenever you can fit it in. Um, I think also sometimes people think that there's a financial cost to self-care, which there doesn't have to be. Even if you're walking around out in nature, that's self-care. You know, Mm -hmm. like if that's something that helps you reset and recharge. Um, Even if it's something like a spiritual self-care, like prayer or reading the Bible or whatever it might be, that can be helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, and another one that I hear is people often think that they're being selfish if they're taking time for themselves or that they could be doing something productive. And, you know, we mentioned the empty cup metaphor earlier. Another one that I like to use is you're on an airplane and the plane is going down. It's crashing. You have to put on your oxygen mask before you can help the person next to you. So you have to help yourself before you can ever show up for somebody else. And that's something I always tell people when they say it's selfish. And if you go an extended period of time without self-care, you're going to burn out. You're going to crash. So that shows you like it is a necessary step that you have to take and not a selfish act. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've definitely experienced that burnout period before being a busy college student Ugh, I feel like I rarely have time to take care of myself but I'm definitely learning that it's so much more important um than like sometimes doing an assignment earlier in the afternoon when it's like really due like later that night um it can honestly make the biggest difference um so how does therapy actually help the client or help us as people in order to take better care of ourselves and other people in our lives I think the mirroring the mirroring thing is very important um because the relationship that you have with your therapist is a relationship and if there are any unhealthy dynamics that you're doing in other relationships it will come out in the therapy um so I think that can be a good way that you kind of learn things that you might be doing in your relationships that are more harmful than helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think also the feedback, if someone is coming in and telling me like complaints that their friends or family have about them, and we kind of say like, okay, let's explore that a little more and figure out how accurate is that perception, then it can be really helpful in learning like, okay, maybe I feel really defensive when I get feedback, But there could be some truth to that. So I think the mirroring can help with that. And I also think that when you have insight into yourself, especially I'm an attachment therapist. Uh, My 
primary theory is all about attachment styles and and how that shows up in relationships and when you learn that information it really makes you take a step back and say how am I attaching to people how am I putting out bids for attachment are they healthy or unhealthy and that insight can be really powerful in navigating relationships that's really interesting um can you so because I'm really just curious now um, can you explain a little bit more of that healthy attachment bend versus unhealthy attachment bend and maybe like how that big insight can kind of, um, I guess, shift with that realization and then how we can also like bring self-care back into that. Because I know sometimes when I've had these like big revelations and my own personal therapy sessions, um, it can be, I get very anxious about it. I'm like, ah, I don't know what to do with this information, but (laughs) I really, it's just me learning. Like I have to take better care of myself and like, just realize that what I'm coming to are just realizations. So do you have any tips for learning things like that? Yeah, definitely. I think the, the power of regulating your emotions and this is kind of, it kind of goes back to attachment in my mind because we all have an inner child and sometimes when we react, we're reacting from that place of childhood, you know, like we melt down or we withdraw or we have like a big emotional outburst or explosion or whatever that might be. So if you can learn to soothe your inner child, I think that's really powerful. Um, there are a lot of different attachment styles now. The theory has really expanded a lot. Mm. But I really focus on three of them. Number one being secure attachment, healthy relationships. That's the ideal. Most people are not there um, because it, it takes a lot of personal work to get there. So the other two are anxious and avoided. Mm. People who are avoidantly attached are very um, closed off. They don't really like to have close relationships because there's like a threat of being vulnerable and what that would mean. Um, anxious people are the opposite. They rely on their relationships for mm. uh, to get their emotional needs met. And so when I say a, a bid for attachment, an unhealthy bid, like if you're an anxious person and you are a people pleaser, like, I'm going to do everything that I can to show people how valuable I am, and then they won't leave me. So the people-pleasing is an unhealthy attachment bit. It's like, if I do for you, you'll stay with me. Mm-hmm. And that's really unhealthy. Um, avoidance will sometimes, like, push people away, even when they don't want to, is like a test, you know? Like, if mm-hmm. I push them away, and then they come back then I know that, like, there's not really a threat of abandonment. So Mm -hmm. those are some unhealthy bids for attachment. A healthy attachment bid would be, I'm feeling very rejected by you right now, and I want us to talk about what we can do differently so that I don't feel that way. Or maybe you're not aware of your behavior and how it affects people. Communicating authentically and and in a vulnerable way is a healthy attachment behavior. Mm -hmm. So how we bring that back to self-care, if you're going through therapy and you're aware that these things are an issue and you're not actively trying to change that pattern, 
I would say that can be a form of self-care. Like, okay, I know that this is something that I'm doing. I'm going to work on it. You're going to feel anxious because it's new and foreign and unfamiliar. And learning how to soothe and regulate yourself is a form of self-care. Yeah. So what are some ways that we can learn to soothe and regulate ourselves? I know you touched on, like, us all having an inner child. Um, How might we go about... um, kind of just relearning like how to make our inner child feel safe or feel at peace yeah I think that's a great question and I think it's very individual Mm -hmm. I think everyone has these sort of like um unmet childhood needs and they might not be physical they might be emotional you know maybe someone grew up in a household where their emotions were not validated or they were told like you shouldn't feel that way you have no reason to feel that way even parents who mean well and are not necessarily like toxic or abusive or anything like that may unintentionally invalidate their child's emotions. So if that's your unmet need, that's what you have to learn to do for yourself as an adult is to validate your emotional experience and give yourself that space and not deny your right to feel. We are all humans we're not robots and we have emotions and Mm -hmm. they're always valid but they're not always rational you know so we have to learn to differentiate that for some people it's really as simple as like calming deep breathing um muscle relaxation stuff like that especially people who grow up in very traumatic environments they will like go into physical fight or flight when confronted with a threat Hmm. and they really have to learn how to regulate and remind themselves like I'm uncomfortable but I'm not unsafe and that just like calming mantra can be helpful so I think it's really individual and really depends on the person and if that's something that any listeners are curious about definitely go to therapy and see if you can find out that information and gain some insight on that. Yeah, that's interesting. So my last question for you is, and it's some it's touches on something that you um, previously mentioned about people feeling like self care might be selfish. Um, so, what piece of advice would you give to someone who might be feeling like taking care of themselves is selfish and not productive? Self care is definitely productive because, as we said before, if you don't have it, you're gonna burn out. And people, I think, often don't recognize burnout. So I guess some symptoms of that would be if you're feeling kind of emotionally numb or you feel like you don't really care about the things that you're doing or you feel like it's okay to not read that passage or not do that assignment or not show up to this meeting that you go to every week that might be a symptom of burnout because you just feel like depleted, like you don't have anything else to give. Or people who are having a little bit of compassion fatigue. You know, maybe your friend is confiding in you about something that they're going through and you're like, oh my gosh, this again. Like there are bigger problems in the world and you just don't care about what they're going through. That might be a sign of burnout because you might love and care about that person but not have the emotional bandwidth to be a support to them at the time. Mm -hmm. So if you're able to recognize that 
the only antidote for burnout is self-care. So that tells you how necessary and productive it actually is. I think a lot of times, because we're talking about mental health, and you can't necessarily see it like a physical ailment, people don't really look at it that way. But it is really the same thing. I mean, you wouldn't, if you have someone that is having something like um, fibromyalgia, which is one of those uh, kind of autoimmune disorders where people have pain and they just feel really bad from day to day. And the doctor tells them, you have to rest. That's all you can do. And the same thing is true of mental health. If you're expending all this mental and emotional energy, you have to rest. That's all you can do. That is the prescription for this issue that you're having. So it is productive. It is necessary. And it is preventative to keep you from burning out. I definitely agree with all that. That's all amazing and wonderful advice. Um, Well, that's all the discussion I have for today. So thank you so much, Chandler, for talking to me. Um, I know that this conversation was very insightful for me, and I really hope that all you listeners out there agree. Um, Thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a great day, and I'll talk to you all soon. You are listening to Therapy is for Everyone. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can send any questions to gvargo123 at andersonuniversity.edu. Please leave a review and rating as this helps others find the show. Join me next time as I sit down with Bobby Ratu, Assistant Professor of Communication at Anderson University, and Dr. Katherine Wyma, Senior Lecturer of English at Anderson University, to talk about advocating for yourself in the workplace.